Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hey, Ann Friedman. Hey, Aminatu So. <laughs> Comment ça va? You know, a the whole end. pandemic and you haven't even learned how to respond <laughs> to me. <laughs> Let me this tell you this. This show is over. This friendship is over. I'm hanging up now. I, I have finally I had- reached the end of my rope. <laughs> I had grand plans that I was going to uh, like record like a like me trying to pronounce something like a more ambitious phrase that I could just play like a like a Home Alone talk boy moment when you ask me that question. So I'm really fully prepared. Um, and like 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 many things during this pandemic, it fell to the bottom and then off the to do list entirely. So, oh, man. Sorry to continue to disappoint you, but at least I'm consistent. It's the it's the heart of darkness of this relationship is your <laughs> refusal to learn basic French phrases. This this is what will undo us. <laughs> I love that. I love that like, you know, like like we we have written about all kinds of very serious things affecting this French friendship, but I love the idea that like if we ever do break up someday, this receipt will be hanging out there that's like, listen, it was Anne's refusal to speak basic conversational French that really did the <laughs> It's this. It's like it's not whenever people are like, Tell me about jealousy or tell me about this. It's no yep. no no. It's like your honor. She refused to learn how to say I'm doing well in French. I know. Um, where, <laughs> where is the Elena Ferrante novel about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and you know, another thank God this show is weekly. You will have other chances to redeem yourself. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you, we have a great episode today. I'm so excited about our guest. Ooh, tell me. I talked to the delightful Julia Tertian who has written some truly fantastic cookbooks and is one of my favorite thinkers on the subject of food and making food and enjoying food and just being like a critical values-led human who likes to cook and eat. Let me tell you, the Greek chicken recipe from, um, I know that you don't really mess with chicken. And truthfully, like I also do not really mess with chicken, but this recipe has, it's so good. It's so good. And three different friends like sent it to me. And so I finally dabbled in and I like, I, I cannot say enough for someone who makes me like a food that I'm not like super fond of. Oh, that is really uh, high praise when it's like, normally I hate this thing, but this recipe has like sold me, won me over. Um, Julia Tertian, if you are not familiar with her work, um, has written several beloved best-selling cookbooks and co-authored some as well. Her latest is called Simply Julia, 100 Easy Recipes for Healthy Comfort Food. Is that the one that the chicken recipe is in? Yes, it is. Oh my God, I love that. And um, Julia also hosts a podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On. So you can you can get her in your ears as well as in your recipes. Yeah, we talked about a lot of things, but I, I feel like um, 
You know, I need to warn everyone that I was working out a lot of my pandemic cooking feelings with her in this interview. <laughs> so we'll see. It might end up sounding like a personal food therapy session that I got to have with her. <laughs> Who knows? It's so funny that you say that. I was complaining with a friend yesterday on the phone about just like having reached the end of my rope of just like performing adulthood in the pandemic. And at one point, like both of us are just like screaming on the phone about how we've just like had it with feeding ourselves. We're just like, is this all life is three times a day? You have to figure this out and then we have to do it again. And it all has to taste different. And I was like, okay, this is when you know that you are losing the plot. Relax, calm down and then come back to earth. 100%. I feel like for me, it spilled over into not even being excited about ordering in, which I probably do like once a week. I'm not like, ooh, like it's a treat. What will I have someone else cook for me tonight? Like, like that was sort of my mode, like at another point in the pandemic. By now, I'm like, none of this sounds interesting either. Like, how are we just burnt out on on basic body life maintenance? Like, it's true. <sighs> It's just like decision making, but it's also a kind of like being alive monotony that I was fully not <laughs> clocked into until, until life came to a standstill. And you're like, oh, is this what we do all the time? And then, as you know, for non-COVID related reasons, I also don't have taste buds. Right. And so it's been um, that has been its own adventure. Maybe we'll do a separate episode on that one day. Um, Your food textures extravaganza. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it, it has nothing to do with COVID, but in the time of COVID, not being able to taste food has been quite a roller coaster. Um, and it's so that also has me like in my feelings. But anyway, I'm very excited to hear this interview. Julia, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. Thank you so much. I am a longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> I'm so happy to talk to you. I um, want to warn you in advance that this might turn into a kind of like personal cooking and food therapy session because That's I fine. feel like I have lots of feelings about making things to eat right now. Um and that's kind of where I want to start because, you know, I think of you as someone who really sits at this nexus of food and community. Like a lot of your work really, really puts at the foreground the fact that like food is something we do with people we care about and with people we're invested in. It is more than just like what is on the plate or like the nutrients we're putting in our bodies. And I couldn't agree more. And also I have just spent the past year um, cooking and eating like just myself and my partner and this kind of broader community aspect is gone and it has really changed the amount of pleasure I derive from both cooking and eating and so I, I guess I just kind of want to start there and get your find out how you're feeling <laughs> in this pandemic as as like you know the community elements been removed from food I totally understand that at this moment today I don't think I'm feeling that, but I have felt that many days over the last year and over my life, honestly, because I've cooked for my entire life. But I definitely, I hear what you're saying and I know 1000% that you're not alone. I hear this from so many other people and I know exactly what it feels like. And I guess, um, 
you can't really give me advice on like surviving a pandemic. I understand <laughs> that is, but um, I don't know. I would love to hear. I mean, do you kind of experience those things differently? You know, you write a lot in this new cookbook about like the meals you make for and with your wife and about like, you know, all these beautiful kind of small rituals um, and ways that food fits into your life together. Um, but also, like I said, you were very quick to say like, this is a good dish to make for a friend or like this is, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of thing we make when we are like working in this volunteer kitchen. And so I'm wondering if those are different modes for you. you yeah. Know? Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because something I think about a lot is like how often I peel and chop onions. <laughs> you know, this is something I do often, but I do it for so many different reasons. You know, sometimes I'm doing it because I am putting my kind of like nerdy, kind of slightly sciencey hat on and I am writing and testing a recipe and I'm figuring out those measurements, those instructions. Sometimes I chop that onion because I am just making a quick meal for me and my wife that honestly I can't remember what I made and it was just something we ate and it was good enough, which is fine, you know? (laughs) And sometimes I do it because I'm cooking for my community. We're doing volunteer work. Sometimes you know, in the before times and hopefully soon, it's because I'm making, you know, dinner for our family that's coming over or friends or whatever. So it's the same thing, right? But it the feeling of it changes depending on what the purpose is. So I don't know, in terms of the kind of pandemic burnout of of cooking and just day-to-day kind of getting by, which, you know, for so many people involves cooking. I mean, that's a real thing. And I just feel a lot of empathy for my fellow home cooks. And so much about this book is about, I think, that empathy and about just really acknowledging the labor that is daily home cooking because it's so much work, you know, it's, it's, and it's not just peeling and chopping the onion. It's also shopping for the onion. It's figuring out, are there other onions in the house that I forgot about? You know, it's keeping this inventory, this constant inventory. It's a lot of cleaning up. It's a lot of considering who you're cooking for. And do they like onions? <laughs> you know, all of that. <laughs> and this is all just like a ton of mental and physical and like emotional labor. And, you know, I'm someone who's gotten to do this for a long time and I get a lot of credit for it, you know, but many, many more people do this all the time without getting any credit or any acknowledgement of how much work it is. And so I feel like that's a big part of what this book is, is just acknowledging it. And it's also written for other daily home cooks like myself, which is to say it's about like the marathon, not the sprint. (laughs) Because sometimes, even if we love to cook more than anything, even if you're like me, and you've made, you know, this career of writing about it, like, yeah, I often don't feel like cooking. And that's okay. Like, that's totally okay. Uh, I you're you're making me think of um, this essay in the book that I loved uh, on on singing and why recipes matter <laughs> because I have this real like you know binary I think in my mind that there are two types of cooks there are freestylers and then there are recipe people mm-hmm. and those are like two different types and I'm a freestyler it's why I don't like to bake as much I like to just like interpret things my own way I never follow a recipe and part of that is like some like growing up strict Catholic damage. Like I just like Mm -hmm. to rebel in every Mm -hmm. tiny way. But I also think 
that like there is something in there that is like, I don't know, like this is just different approaches to the kitchen. And this essay, which I would love to hear you talk more about, really helped me reframe and get beyond that binary of like, I'm a freestyle versus I'm, I'm, I'm a recipe person. Sure. Yeah, my mom describes this binary as like, you're either a classical musician or you're a jazz musician. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you either like study the thing and try to get it like perfect or you like riff on it. But they're both mm. wonderful, right? I don't know. Anyway, it's her thing. It's not mine. Um, so I'm so glad you brought up this essay um, because this was just such a funny experience, but it was a real like light bulb moment for me. So basically, I am very much like you. I am the jazz musician. I am someone who loves to just throw a meal together, whatever's in my kitchen. I'm not measuring anything. I'm not wearing shoes, you know, I've got music <laughs> on, like, it's the most relaxed part of my day, like, the kitchen is where I feel the least anxious, like, the most confident, which is not true, basically, in any other area of my life, <laughs> and, you know, I trust myself in my kitchen, it's not that I think everything I cook is going to be so great, I just trust that I can figure it out, so that is the feeling I have, like, on a day-to-day -day basis in my kitchen, that said, I write recipes for a living. So even though I don't follow them, <laughs> um, you know, I write them and I take a lot of pleasure in writing like really clear instructions, very descriptive instructions. I take a lot of pleasure in figuring out the ingredients and even like tiny details about like the way I provide measurements. Like I want it to match what's on, you know, the package of sour cream. <laughs> so you're not like at the store and being like, wait, how much is a cup? <laughs> you know, that kind of right. thing. Um, so all these little details that I get so into. So basically, I've never known how to reconcile like these two parts of myself, the part that's like the super intuitive cook and also the part of myself that very happily writes recipes. So the one time I really figured this out and was able to kind of mesh these two parts of myself was when I went to the singing workshop, which might not make any sense. But basically, the reason I went was just a sidebar story is because even though I am not a shy person, like I'm happy to talk to anyone, like I can have a conversation with like a doorknob, <laughs> like it's fine. <laughs> but I'm not loud. You know, that's part of why I love podcasting because like I get to speak into a microphone. You can adjust the audio level. <laughs> like I probably <laughs> sound louder now than I actually am. And after a lot of like therapy and conversations with my wife about this, I was like, I think I need to like be a little less afraid of just not using my voice, but just like raising it. <laughs> um, so I did something that terrified me and I went to this singing workshop. It was at this like really funny like retreat center in Massachusetts. I drove there from my house and I spent a weekend singing with this group of women and I was the youngest by like a significant amount. And we had all come to this for very different reasons and different levels of experience too, I should say. And we spent the whole weekend just singing and our instructor, who basically is like the jazz musician, right? Like she just knows all these songs. She knows them intuitively and she would sing them and then we would listen and sing them back. So, you know, call and response. So there was never anything written down. We didn't have a worksheet or notebooks or anything. We're just singing. And I had so much fun, even though I was like so terrified. <laughs> and <laughs> I got home at the end of the weekend, like Sunday afternoon, I opened the door and Grace is like, how was it? I was like, it was amazing. Like, it was so fun. It was hysterical. And then she was like, great, like sing me a song. And I was like, yeah, can't remember a single one. <laughs> and she was like, what, what do you mean? Like, this wasn't like days later or like a month later. Like this was, I had been singing that morning. Like I just got home. 
And I realized I just couldn't remember anything. And it just hit me. I was like, oh, this is why I write recipes. And this is why recipes matter. Because, you know, Anne, you and I, you could be in my kitchen right now, which would be delightful. (laughs) You know, I could show you how to make something I love to make. I could give you a taste of it. I could take you through every step of it. You know, you could be completely present for this exchange. And then you might go home and maybe someone asks you like, hey, can you make the thing Julia made? And if you don't have a recipe in front of you, it might be hard to recreate that moment. And it just hit me that this is the purpose of writing this stuff down. It's so that we can recreate the super present moment, that we can recreate this ability to be intuitive and flexible and fun and, you know, not attached to the piece of paper. But the piece of paper kind of helps you get there. Like, you know, you get to be that state that the singing teacher is where you just know it, (laughs) but you don't just, you know, come out just knowing it. It's interesting reading, reading your book as well um, has, um, has really made me think a lot about just cooking as an iterative art form. I mean, you're very good at saying, you know, like, look, this recipe came from this restaurant or from this other cookbook or from this person in my life. And here is, here's how it's the same from what I ate um, in their kitchen or what I originally learned. And here's how I've adapted it for you. And there is this almost like show your work citation process Mm -hmm. that you use. And um, I think that everyone's aware that like, rarely is a recipe like whole cloth invented. Like, I mean, I I can't imagine that like anything is like leaping fully formed with no influences at all. But um, it does also feel like a, like kind of a new thing or like a special thing about your cookbook that you are directly acknowledging this lineage of all the recipes. It feels a little bit like some of what I like about reading recipe blogs as well. You know, there's like a lot of kind of dismissive jokes about scrolling through the essay mm-hmm. top portion to get to the <laughs> recipe, but some of that I think is important citation work. And so I would love to hear your thoughts about that, about the, sure. the responsibility of a, of a recipe author, a cookbook author to explain the lineage. I, I really appreciate you bringing this up because it is something that's like so important to me. And, you know, I definitely think it's the responsibility of us cookbook authors, but I also think it's our joy, <laughs> or at least it is for me, you know, because I feel like the only thing I feel any sense of authority over is being able to write recipes that are really easy to follow, um, that really like have your back. But in terms of any specific type of food, I'm not an authority. I think of anything, you know, I consider myself a, a storyteller. Um, and I am just so grateful to be able to author cookbooks where I get to share all these stories. I get to tell you about the people who inspired, you know, whatever the dish might be, because to me, that's the joy of food. It's what you were talking about earlier, about how much we're missing that right now, (laughs) you know, like cooking Mm. with other people, being cooked for by other people. I miss that so much. (laughs) And I think that that is definitely kind of like a revelation of the past, you know, year that has felt like way longer than a year is that sort of connective tissue that we're all just missing so much. And for me, that comes through food so much. So yeah, I think that comes up in the stories. And the point about the originality of recipes, I think is a really important one, because I don't know if this is like general knowledge or not, but just like an interesting thing on the logistic end of writing cookbooks is that you cannot copyright a recipe. And I feel like 
what that really indicates is like no one owns a specific recipe. What we own, what we can claim copyright over or ownership over is the story, you know, the storytelling. Mm. And I kind of believe that there's only honestly like less than 10 recipes in the world. Like basically <laughs> like you can boil something, you can fry it, you can, you know, pickle it, you can, you know, whatever. Like those are the recipes. The rest is just mixing things up, you know, whatever combination of ingredients, however long you do this, what order do you do it in? You know, I didn't invent roast chicken. I didn't invent carrot cake. I didn't invent um, tomato soup. You know, these things that are recipes in my books. But what I can offer in my books is, yeah, super clear instruction and stories and images and this just context for the food itself. So I feel like a lot of people who author cookbooks and who are in the food space feel pressure to be in authority in a way that I just feel like actually does a disservice to everyone because I think then people aren't giving credit where credit's due, but they're also missing the pleasure of, of sharing those stories, you know? Is there a sign, like when you're eating something for the first time, are you like, oh, I am definitely going to want to mess around with this and make it my own? Or I definitely want to be able to like put this down in recipe form and iterate on it? Or like, what is your mm -hmm. process for, for being attracted to something that might eventually make it into a cookbook? That's such an interesting question. And I don't know if that's a question I've been asked before. It's, it's a really hard thing to describe. And I think this is where the sort of art and intuition and all these things that are hard to put words to, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. really comes in. <laughs> I'm thinking about this really embarrassing story. So, <laughs> but once, so years ago, my wife and I took this trip to New Orleans, and we went to this restaurant, and I got this bowl of food, and it was, it was just so good. But it had this broth in it, and the broth just tasted, like, so layered. Like, you could just tell so much time and energy mm -hmm. went into making it because it was like, it didn't taste like one thing. It tasted like so many things at the same time. And I just thought it was like really excellent. And I also am like a bit of a lightweight when it comes to alcohol. And I had like maybe two or maybe three drinks. So I was like Julia drunk. <laughs> and at the end of the meal, I like wrote a note on the receipt. <laughs> was so embarrassing and I was like this broth was like amazing and like <laughs> and then I was like weirdly snobby and I was like I've gotten to eat like a lot of really good food in my life like this broth was so good and Grace and was, I like, know broth yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grace was like mortified she was like what are you doing I was like no this is this broth is just so good <laughs> and I think I put like my email or something and I think yeah I've, I've sort of blocked this out but I think the chef was very kind and was like hey I can tell you about the broth if you want but <laughs> <laughs> so that's just an embarrassing story. But I think that moment when I'm eating something and you're in the middle of a conversation and if whatever you're eating makes you just pause for a second, like that's the moment when I'm like, oh, I need to know more about this or I want to know more about this. Like it makes me kind of stop in the middle of my sentence. That is like a big, big like flashing light to me. Mm. And I think that's just something that happens when you're present or I guess when I'm present, you know, and I'm 
just able to like really enjoy the experience of eating whatever it is. Or maybe I feel just so connected to the person who's cooking. You know, I love being around people when they're cooking. And maybe I'm just watching them move through their kitchen. And they seem to be so joyful about that or you know so connected to what they're doing like that's something I want to know more about like when something really I guess just grips you in that way so I feel like I'm always kind of just seeking those moments the other thing that I was struck by in reading this book in this particular moment is how many of those origin stories involve restaurants that are no longer here. Mm. Um, and and that that is not like a pandemic casualty because as you say, I, I think you write that you handed in this book just before the pandemic hit. Is that right? Yeah, I handed in the manuscript in like February 2020 mm. and then photographed it like at the earliest days of the pandemic, which was surreal. And then I got to edit it basically over, you know, the first, whatever, six months or so of COVID. So I got to kind of reflect on it a bit. So the timing was, I don't know, it was what it was. And it was interesting. Yeah. And I was struck by how, um, you know, a lot of the restaurants that show up in these kind of origin stories um, that precede the recipes are closed. And like many of them closed years ago, you know, family restaurants like near where your grandmother lived or like that maybe you grew up going to. And I don't know, I've been thinking a lot in this pandemic about the kinds of restaurants that are slipping through the cracks of Mm -hmm. like, you know, like maybe food delivery or community GoFundMe, like places that are still important to people, but that might not be as digitally savvy. Um, And I don't know, I, I was, I was really touched by, um, you know, the cookbook as preservation effort for some of these places that no longer exist. And I'm not sure I would have felt that way if I'd read this book in a non-COVID time as I as I was thinking about like places mm-hmm. that have been meaningful to me that have closed. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I would love to ask you about that too, is like documenting a kind of restaurant history in a way. I, that's another way I read your book. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting too that you note that a lot of the restaurants I do reference closed long before COVID. And Mm -hmm. I think a big part of that is just like, I am not a trendy person. (laughs) Like, if if someone is asking me, like, what are the best new restaurants to go to? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I can send you some websites that know. (laughs) Like, that is not my department. I really like kind of tried and true older things. I think so much of my work is me kind of wrestling with nostalgia, honestly, and trying to figure out what it means to me and what it feels and trying to capture these really positive experiences I've had around food like growing up because not all of my experiences around food were positive growing up so you know that's just some backstory to I think my um, attachment to older things like I still Mm -hmm. have a sweatshirt that I had when I was a kid at summer camp like it still has my name tag in it <laughs> like like I'm I'm attached I'm sentimental like just hi I'm Julia I'm sentimental um, so you know that's what I put in my books because I try to just put myself in my books so it's interesting that this stood out to you because of what's happening to the restaurant industry during COVID and I don't know I think it's all to me hearing you reflect on it just makes me just think about the fact that both restaurants and cookbooks are places where culture is preserved and where it's shared. And that is extremely valuable. And I think that's why it is truly heartbreaking when our favorite restaurants close 
And I think it's also why it's so important that there just be so much more diversity and representation, which I know are such overused words. So I like cringe at using them. But it's just so important because, you know, I get to put myself out there in my books and I get to put my stories, you know, I get to put pictures of my family, family members who don't, aren't alive anymore. (laughs) You know, like I get to kind of cement these things into like published history in a way that is something I just do not take for granted. And I just think it's so important that so many people get the opportunity to do that. And not just important for us authors, but for everyone who sees themselves represented in that. I love this idea of thinking about cookbooks like restaurants as a place where culture is made because one of the things that I think is so great and revelatory about um, the culture that you're creating is about defining healthy um, Mm -hmm. in a way that is not inextricably linked with like anti-fat or like super like skinny like as the goal above all else a definition of healthy that um that feels like real and true and positive and sustainable for people who are living in all kinds of bodies how did you come to that definition of healthy and what did it feel like to put the word healthy in the subtitle Mm -hmm. of this cookbook knowing that people have these kind of fat phobic connotations with Mm -hmm. it This was a long road for me, like in terms of the process of that, you know, I know you were saying you're interested in process, like it has been a long process and something I continued to process. And, you know, I mentioned a little while ago that I feel like so much of my work, writing cookbooks, writing recipes is about getting in touch with like these positive moments with food, because I also had so many moments that weren't. And so I guess to just not be vague about that and explain that a little more. I have loved to cook my whole life. I have felt so much joy when I'm cooking. That has been like a through line forever for me since like before I can remember, like little, little kid. And at the same time, on the other hand, I have had a completely challenging and fraught relationship with eating and with my body. And I have had just body image issues forever, many of which I've inherited. I have had total disordered and restrictive eating at times, obsessive exercise stuff at times, anxiety, all these things all wrapped into one life. And I have been trying to just untangle this and understand it and also just trying really hard to shift my relationship to my body and my relationship to eating and to find as much pleasure in eating as I do in cooking. And I've noticed along the way, you know, this is really obvious what I'm about to say, but just how much media informs what we think of when we think of the word healthy. And I think that for so long, and it continues today, I think the word healthy is used instead of the word skinny in many places. Mm. And Understanding that healthy and skinny are not the same thing has honestly like changed my life (laughs) because I didn't know that before. I thought they were the same thing. And I was constantly trying to make my body smaller and to take up just less space because I thought that meant I would be more valuable. And that was really, really hard because my body wanted to take up the space it takes up. (laughs) And I was fighting it and my body was just trying to like asked me to stop for so long. So yeah, I bring all of that to this book. (laughs) And in this book, which as you mentioned, the word healthy is in the subtitle. I know people will have all different kinds of reactions to that word. And I guess a part of me wanted to 
not just maybe be a little bit provocative with that, but to also try and just offer another definition of the word and basically define healthy as having nothing at all to do with weight loss and having everything to do with our relationship to cooking and eating and having just like a positive nourishing relationship to food and one that is free of any type of restriction or deprivation, like definitely free of guilt like no limitations. And it's something that I try every day to feel. And it, I wish it came more naturally to me, but I, I feel like I did a lot of things that were really mean to my body for a long time that makes it hard, but I don't know, it's getting easier. So I'm really just incredibly proud to have written a healthy cookbook that has nothing to do with losing weight. That feels really valuable to me. How do you know, I mean, you also write in this book about like, being tuned into your feelings as a part of this process, which as someone who's constantly trying to remember that I have feelings really resonated mm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering how, how do you know when you're having kind of like a healthy, by your definition, experience with food or like a healthy mm. experience of a meal or healthy experience in your body? What does that feel like? For me, it feels like I'm being totally present and I feel like I'm able to identify that at this point in my life very easily because it feels so different to me because for (laughs) so long I wasn't present because I was constantly calculating in my head. I was on and off of Weight Watchers for like over a decade, like 15 years. And, um, you know, Weight Watchers has you calculate everything, measure everything, but use points instead of, you know, calories and stuff. So it seems like it's no big deal, but it's like a big deal. (laughs) Like you're restricting what you're eating and you're being obsessive about it, or at least I was, Um, which meant that every time I ate something, so every day in my life for over a decade, I was not present while I was eating because I was doing math in my head. And I was also doing math to figure out how much I could move my body to justify whatever I was eating or how much I could restrict the next day to make up for this or, you know, and on and on and on. And I just was not able to be like fully there. I wasn't able to be fully part of the conversations I was having at the table. I wasn't able to like enjoy really delicious food. I wasn't able to even sometimes identify when food wasn't that good, (laughs) you know, and like Mm. maybe I wanted something else, you know, all these types of things. So yeah, these days I feel like I'm just more easily able to identify it because I just have this moment where I realize, like, oh, I'm right here and I'm not anywhere else. And that feels really, really good. So that's been really helpful. Yeah, like super helpful because for me, so much of my like eating stuff, body image stuff, like my warped sense of what healthy meant, so much of that is so tangled with my anxiety, which runs very deep. (laughs) And I've come to see a really, I don't know, more manageable way for me to look at my anxiety is like, it's the inability to be present. Because for me, if I'm anxious, I'm like worried about something that just happened. So maybe it was how much I just ate or what I just ate. Or I'm worried about something that could happen in the future. Like, I might lose control over what I'm eating. What does that even mean? Like those kinds of thoughts would happen to me all the time. And So being anxious is like, yeah, worried about what just happened, worried about what's going to happen. It is like nothing to do with like the here and now. So the more I'm able to be present, the more I'm able to access like this really calm, like grounded part of myself, which honestly has been there all along because it happens when I cook. I just had a hard time seeing that. 
I want to ask you about the title of this cookbook as well, because when I mm-hmm. saw it for the first time, I was like, what a flex. I fucking love it. It's called <laughs> Simply Julia. First of all, because like, I was just like, wow, like, when do I have my Simply Anne moment? Like, you really like, <laughs> you really put something on my like long-term goals list there. And then second of all, you know, you share a name with a very famous like, like white American woman chef, you know what I mean? Um, And I just like, I died for it. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on Simply Julia and like, what is behind that title? Yeah. I love hearing your reaction to it because honestly, it's taken me a long time to say the title of the book without like bursting into like completely red cheeks and feeling really (laughs) like embarrassed about it. But also I didn't, fight it, right? Like I used it. So I think there's a part of me that wants to be as bold as maybe that Mm. seems. But anyway, the title is my mom's idea. (laughs) Um, Love it. (laughs) She has been telling me for years uh, that I should do a book called Simply Julia. Like that has just been like her thought. And I'll add, my mom isn't just like supportive mom who like believes I should have a book titled after myself, which is totally sweet. But my mom has like worked in and around publishing and advertising for her whole life and like really like sees this kind of thing and she just goes around like branding everything all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> she's always making titles for things. Um so it comes from a source who like really has made a career out of like seeing this kind of thing. And I for so long was like, Mom, what does that even mean? <laughs> and but basically this book started as just a book without a title, which is very unusual for me because I am my mother's daughter and I come up with like the titles for things all the time. And I just didn't know what this book was. I knew what it would include and I knew I wanted it to be the most practical book I've ever written. I knew I wanted this kind of healthy comfort thing, try to sort of push against, you know, the go-to definition of healthy. Um, And I just didn't know how to tie all of this together. You know, the recipes are from all over the place, (laughs) like both Mm. geographically, but also different people like we spoke about. And I just didn't know what the kind of hook was. And I just kept coming back to this kind of, you know, like mental post-it I've had for years of my mom being like, the thing that ties it together is you. And so I thought, I'll just go for it. (laughs) And I'll just put myself out there. You know, I'm on the cover of this book, which also felt very like, I don't know, but let's try it. And most cookbook authors are either well known for being on television, whether it's a cooking show or something else, or they run, you know, restaurants or they have something else that kind of gives them the platform to do the cookbook. I am a cookbook author, (laughs) like through and through, and I'm a home cook who writes for other home cooks. So putting myself out there, both my image um, and also my name Definitely felt like terrifying, but kind of like the singing workshop, like just go for it, (laughs) like just try it, see what happens. And I don't know, hearing your reaction means a lot to me. So thank you for telling me. (laughs) My mom is going to be thrilled. (laughs) Of course, of course, like a brand savvy mom is at the root of this like ultimate flex title. I love it. And is this really your kitchen on the cover or is this? Oh, yeah. No, that is our kitchen. I mean, we cleaned it up, but that's our kitchen. (laughs) And I am just extremely grateful that this is where I get to spend my every day. It's beautiful. I love knowing it's really your kitchen. Somehow that really like ties everything together for me. You know, like (laughs) I can really envision being in your kitchen while you're making this stuff. Um, Before we go, I have to ask you a couple of like lightning round questions. Yeah. Yeah. First is about snacks. I want to hear about your favorite healthy comfort snacks. 
Oh, gosh. I feel like anything can be a snack. <laughs> um, but I... Are, are you familiar with Bjorn corn? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It is this very um, popular, like, packaged popcorn, and it's got, like, nutritional yeast on it, and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. It's so, so good. And they, um, it's popped, it's, like, solar popped. <laughs> like, they use Whoa. the sun. I don't really know how it works, but anyway, it's delicious popcorn, and they actually make it really close to where we live. It's so good. So, that's the first thing that came to mind. Mm. I mean, my number one snack is like air popped popcorn made with nutritional yeast and whatever sumac, whatever, I, whatever like spicy things I have. So I feel very like, mm -hmm, yes, I'm going to check this out. And, and also just like, does that mean you're like more of a salty snack person than a sweet snack person? I feel like that might be true. I don't know. I've never quite thought about it. I love salty and sweet. I always think like I'm going to have a little dessert as opposed to I'm going to have a sweet snack. So I think it's just semantics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So as this episode is, is coming out into the world, we are like starting to reach this point where like it's possible that someone listening and like an immediate circle of friends and family will all be vaccinated and we can be gathering in these kind of like small groups over a meal for the first time in a long time. And so I'm wondering if you, in during the pandemic, had any kind of fantasies about like a first post-COVID extended family meal or, you know, chosen family dinner party. Did you have a vision for that? Were you thinking about that? Do you have plans for that? Um, that is just such a, like, sweet question that I'm glad you're asking me now and not, like, a month ago or a year 100%. ago. We need, we need um, to kind of feel the hope in order to really exactly. talk about this question. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And my, my parents, my in-laws have been vaccinated, which I'm very, very grateful for. I honestly... I don't know. I haven't even thought about what to cook for them. I'm just excited to have mm. them sitting at our kitchen table. Um, but yeah, probably something from the book because there are so many of my mother-in-law's recipes from the book in the book, which makes me so happy. So I might make, there's a recipe for what she calls sizzle burgers. They're so good. They're like these really simple like burgers you make like in a cast iron skillet with lots of onions and Worcestershire sauce. I never know how to say that. I just tried it there and some butter and they're just delicious and you can eat them over anything and they're really good on rice because it makes like this pan sauce. So that came to mind, but I don't know. There's a lot of soups and stews in the book and I love those and I especially love anything you can make and just like leave in the pot on the stove and it's done before everyone gets there and then you just ladle it up and you sit around and just enjoy each other's company. Ugh. I love that. <laughs> I'm just like, even hearing that, I'm just like, I want to make stew for everyone I love like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, do you have a most used cookbook on your own shelf? I, you know, it's so funny because as we were talking about before with like intuitive cooking versus recipe cooking, you know, I really don't follow many recipes, but I own a million gazillion cookbooks. You know the cookbook <laughs> that I most loved, like the most recent one that actually I do use? I'm going to amend my answer. It's a book called Snacking Cakes. And I know you mentioned that you don't bake a lot because you approach things more like the jazz musician. Um, <laughs> this book is so wonderful. It's all like super, super simple cakes and tons of variations on them. And you make everything just like one bowl, a whisk, one baking pan, like no equipment, and it's very intuitive, I find. And I use that book all the time, and I've been recommending it to everyone. Snacking Cakes. It's also like, a, like it sounds like a cute pet name, like all my little totally. cake. Like, totally. I love it. Totally. 
And finally, you know, I mean, I, I know you reference cooking for friends a lot in the book, but like, do you have uh, a bestie you want to shout out? Someone who has really shaped um, the work that you do, maybe? Yeah, I mean, if it's okay, I would like to shout out three friends um, yes. who I write about in the book, um, Cleo, Amelia, and Lizzie. And I think of them as my card night friends, which just to give you some suspense, you can read about why <laughs> I call them that in the book. But these are my three best friends. And part of what keeps us so close is that we all love to cook and we love to cook for each other and with each other. And I have missed them so much. I have we have not been together in person in, you know, over a year and I'm like getting teary thinking about it. And cooking and food are such a big part of our like individual and collective friendship and they have definitely shaped so much of I don't know who I am as a person and how I show up for my friends and you know by seeing how they've shown up for me. And they have also shape so much of what's in this book <laughs> and you know I think about them all the time and like would they make this okay it'll make the cut oh I love that the like the friend test of like is this valuable I use that all the time in a million different ways um Julia thank you so much for being on the show this has been such a delight this has been wonderful and I just appreciate this you know opportunity to come on the show so much and it's just been so nice to talk to you your voice has literally been in my ear for so long so it's so nice to talk to you Ugh, now I'm hungry. Oh my gosh. She's done the impossible. We both want to cook and eat now. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm hungry is very different from I want to cook, but I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I would love to be fed. Thank you. Okay. Noted. Noted. Um, uh, if you are interested in this book, um, Julia asked us to mention that you can get a signed personalized copy if you order from Oblong, if you order from Oblong Books, which is a um, an independent bookstore. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Otherwise, you can find Simply Julia wherever you like to buy your books. See you on the internet, boo boo. See you on the kitchen. <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet callyourgirlfriend.com apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher we're on all your faves subscribe rate review you know the drill call us back leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943 that's 714-681-cygf you can email us callyrgf at gmail.com we're on instagram and twitter at callyrgf and you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books, but we are really partial to independent bookstores. Our theme song is by Robin, original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Ricks, our logos are by Kanisha Sneed, our producer is Jordan Bailey. Special thanks this week to Chelsea Daniel. This podcast is executive produced by Gina Delvac.